Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday the 23rd of February. This is Christian Thwaites. And this is Emily Takenberts, and let's get started. First of all, Christian, it's good to be back with you on the podcast after a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks off, yes. Yes. Um, so I want to dive right in here. Uh, you know, after seeing bond yields tick up for over the, the past couple of weeks, we saw them actually stabilize and go down this week. What's going on here? I, I think... Um, the market is really absorbing a pretty big change that has come in, say, in the last six weeks. If we'd been having this conversation back in November, we'd have assumed that the administration had, between the administration and the legislators, had a fairly conservative fiscal stance. You know, they, that's what they talked about. They talked about, uh, you know, uh, tax changes and, and some stimulus, but you, ne- you didn't really think that they were going to be go into big deficit financing. Well, the combination of the tax reform package and then the $300 billion extra spending bill that came out a couple of weeks ago really put that assumption uh, into question. And deficits are difficult to measure because on the one hand, you've got tax tax revenue coming in and we don't know how much the change in capital gains and the new bands are going to uh, change that revenue side of it, and you also don't know how much the market, the economy is going to grow, and therefore there'll be growth of tax revenue along with it. The spending is a little bit more, you know, easy to uh, to estimate, and on those numbers alone, we're we're uh, we're looking at a widening of the budget deficit. I mean, by whether it doubles, which is what some people think, uh, from about five hundred billion to nearly a trillion, or whether it's a number less than that, but it's not going to stay still. And unfortunately, we had a couple of uh, strange remarks. You know, Manushkin said at Davos that the dollar needed to be weaker. And then this head of OMB, Mulvaney, had this bizarre discussion where he talked about not having the deficits didn't matter anymore. So it's enough for the, for, the, for the market to get worried about the budget deficit. And secondly, which is why we're referring it into our, in our blog this week, the, sort of the twin deficit is, is the other one is the trade deficit. And, and the concern there is... You know, we, we, we have a weaker dollar. It's going to make imports a bit more expensive. We don't have a very big import-export sector compared to some other economies, but it's still not trivial. It's still a big number. Um, and uh, with this extra demand in the economy, which people think is coming from the, fisc- from the fiscal stimulus, uh, then that is, could just suck in more imports. We don't have the ability to, to produce at the rate the economy might be growing at. So, so there's just a number of things going on, which I think was just felt that there was going to be more treasury supply and bonds would edge upward. Now, I think it came off a bit last week because some of the economic numbers weren't that great. Industrial production, retail sales weren't that great. Existing home sales, much more important than new, uh, than, than new uh, housing starts. Not, nothing to write, write home about. And, and, so, and then the Fed's minutes were... Uh, a little ambivalent in the sense that they weren't as hawkish as people thought they were going to be. So you kind of put all that together, plus a very oversold bond market, and I think we're sort of back at the 280 range, which we feel fine about. As you know, you and I have discussed this. Mm-hmm. Treasuries are you know, a good place to be right now because if there's any you know, corporate uh, credit spread widening, then that's going to put more damage in the bond market than just a, an uptick in interest rates. But yeah, so I think the market is kind of absorbing all this right now. But you know, for, for now, we're going to be talking about twin deficits. Um, um, they, they, they're going to be front and center, I think, for, for some time yet. Yeah, do they have uh, the ability to kind of hamper us long term? 
um, these two twin deficits that, you, that you're talking about, the trade deficit and the budget deficit? Well, that's a really good question because the trade deficit is sort of inextricably linked to the current account deficit, and that's what really matters. But that trade is just stuff that moves across the borders mostly. Uh, uh, the current account includes all sorts of interest and dividend income and, and money flows, mm -hmm. and that if that gets you know, bigger, then that's typically a, a, st a strain on the on on the on the exchange rate, which is what we're looking at. So they do have a they do have a, 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 a an, an opportunity to hurt us. And on the import side, I mean that's a straight negative contribution to GDP. So if the if the import side goes up a bit, uh, you know it's very good for emerging market economies and stocks. By the way, upon <laughs> <laughs> the other side of it, but for the U.S., yeah, it definitely creates uh, some stresses. So more to come and to watch on that. I think so, yes. Um, you also wrote about um, Credit Suisse um, released their Global Investments Returns Yearbook. Um, and you wrote a bit about that in the blog. Can you just give us some of the highlights and, and what's important for us to look at here? Yeah, certainly. You should, uh, I, on the blog, if you get a chance, you should, you should click through to this. This is a really interesting book that comes out and it looks at all the investment trends you know, from 1900 to 2017. Um, so the interesting thing is that, as we would hope, but it's nice to see it confirmed, equities were by far and away the better, the best asset class over almost any time period, certainly over the long term, uh, but also if you chop it up into any kind of sub-time periods, bad markets, good markets, corrections, boom times, and uh, by a very big margin. It was sort of like, you know, 7%. In, in equity premium risk terms. That means you know, essentially what you're going to get over and above the risk-free rate and in real terms. So that, that's good to know. And then the other one, it kind of debunked the fact that housing has not been good investment at all. Uh, there's only two property markets which um, had uh, uh, returns of over 1% a year over that time. Wow. It's Australia and the UK. And, it, and, and the US was 0 because we forget that U.S. has actually had very few housing boom and bust, except for 2008. Very unusual. Bernanke made that point at the time. Mm. That normally we've got enough space that we can build out and you don't have uh, the, the big bubbles, except in 2008. Anyway, so U.S. housing has been a miserable investment over the long term. Um, and so, uh, and then the other one is that, uh, you know, some of the alternative asset classes have not done very well, especially gold. And... Uh, and the other one, which I find interesting, we put a chart in it, was emerging markets, which uh, have uh, not been that great over 1900 to 2017. But then you have to factor in that there was some pretty extraordinary circumstances. We forget Russia had a very big stock market in 1912, and then it was gone by 1918. So, but so, and then we kind of redid the numbers in the blog just to show that from about 1950 to now, the uh, the, the emerging markets have outperformed the U.S. market by about two percent a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but two percent compounded over seven years is a heck of a big uh, uh, gain. So anyway, it does. You know, we we would be careful. There's not confirmation bias going in here, but we do like the equity returns. We do like emerging markets, and we've usually been a little skeptical about. Uh, 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 certainly precious metals and at times real estate. So uh, it, it's a pretty interesting uh, uh, um, uh, source and, you know, hopefully people find it interesting on, on the blog. Do you see um, that kind of divide or those results continuing into the future? I do, yeah. I think they make a point, a good point using historical perspective, which we've also, 
I think, discussed here, which is that in a period of low rates, your, 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 your expected return from something like equities is going to be lower. I mean, the kind of rule of thumb is you should expect a return of equities of, say, 4 to 5% over the risk-free rate. So if the risk-free rate is 5, you're going to come in at 12. If it's, you know, 1, you're going to come in at uh, 5 or 6. And we're closer to that than we are to the mm -hmm. 10. So, I mean, I do think that equities are still going to be the dominant asset class uh, and have a, you know, good, a very good potential at least of sort of doubling over the next, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years. But that's... We could get a lot more than that, but uh, yeah, it, it does it does confirm that that's the right place for us to be. But that the absolute returns probably going to be a bit lower than we've had over the last couple of years. All right, good to know. Um, I also wanted to, you know, it has kind of been lost in in the market volatility that we've had in the last couple of weeks. But I wanted to refocus um, our attention on earnings and and kind of give us an update about the earnings season. It's, it's winding down now. But what did we see? Was it a good one? Um, and what are your thoughts there? I, I, it has been good, yes. I mean, and we, we, we've seen essentially about, a, we've got 75% of the S&P 500 was reported as of today, so that's February 23rd. Um, the big ones have mostly been done. And we're looking at an earnings gain of about 14%. And the expectation was 11 And that, you usually don't get a, a beat as big as that. And the reason, I think, is because this corporate tax change has meant that people have been uh, writing down tax liabilities. They've been, uh, uh, you know, sort of knowing that the uh, if they were going to bring money abroad, it's going to be taxed at much lower rates. So they're able to take the, the credit to the income account. And that's happened much more than people taking a, having to write down a tax liability. So uh, a tax asset, rather. So, yeah, it's, it put all that into into the mix. And definitely, Goldman Sachs puts this thing out, puts something out called the Beige Book of Earnings. And it basically takes all these quotes from companies on their earnings calls. And the big ones were, yeah, there's going to be, you know, buybacks and dividends. There were quite a few companies, I don't know if they'll follow through, and these are public companies. They don't, they only, they only employ about 11% of the U.S. workforce. Uh, but they did say that they would give some uh, extra um, uh, earnings and wage increases. I think they'll do it in bonuses more than wage increases. But anyway, there's, there's an element of let's share the wealth uh, a little bit. And then there are some, you know, the investment and the CapEx, which is what we're looking for. So, uh, you know, there isn't one over the other. They're kind of saying a lot of it. And, of course, they're hedging it. But uh, but but generally, I think what we're seeing in this earnings season is, uh, you know, corporate CEOs are in pretty better shape than they, than they have been in a while. I know there were some kind of wonky numbers coming out just because of the new tax plan. Um, do you see that maybe for the next earnings season um, kind of evening out a little bit and stabilizing? For sure. Absolutely. I think, look, uh, you know, company auditors had three weeks to figure this out uh, based on um, a reading of the tax plan of which, you know, there have been two or three major loopholes revealed already, which Congress wants to close. And that really must be a symptom of the fact that it was written in such haste. So there's, so I think they were taking their best estimates. Most auditors nowadays would be overly conservative. Uh, so I think that there might be, you know, the, the big hits and the big numbers, especially if they're write downs have been, have been taken. And we'll see, we'll, we'll see less of an impact going forward. 
out of curiosity, not to get too technical, technical, but what are those three major loopholes that have been exposed? Oh, God, I think one of them is to do with a hedge fund, which can set up its earnings to go into, uh, you know, C-corps instead of, mm. uh, instead of uh, proprietary ownership. Mm-hmm. I think another one is that um, it, it might be technically possible to, uh, instead of paying state income tax, you make a tax deductible contribution to the state and therefore that becomes eligible for the mm. income tax reduction instead of, you know, coming under the salt limits. I can't what the third one is, but it's, it's, it's enough that people are going, no, 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 we didn't mean that. <laughs> so, <laughs> if there are loopholes to be exploited, I'm sure they'll they be will found. be, right? Um, and then lastly, I kind of wanted to touch upon this this funny story that, that we heard about this week around Snap, the company. Yes. And, um, uh, one of the Kardashian clan, um, Kylie Jenner, who has amassed a, a huge following on, on social media, uh, came out a couple days ago and said that she didn't really like or didn't really use Snap and didn't like the, um, the new app. Uh, and, you know, promptly the stock fell uh, about 17% on that news. You know, this is kind of a modern phenomenon, but is this something that is an anomaly or you know, could be exploited in, in other ways going forward? Or, or is it just simply um, kind of point to the tenuous uh, kind of business um, of Snap and what they do? I, I think it's more, the, it's mostly the latter. It's, you know, this is a business which can be copied that kind of floats on, you know, pretty thin air. Uh, you know, they, they have a less than a billion dollars in revenues, they lose about three and a half billion dollars. I don't know quite how you do that, but they've managed to do it. And and uh, then you've got you know, one person who can sort of throw the stock for a, for a loop. So I, I think some of that is uh, is just, just specific to Snap. But on a bigger picture, I think we do have to, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Is One is that, you know, some of these, Tech earnings are are driven by you know just pure ad revenue. I mean, I, I I know it upsets people when I talk about this, my Silicon Valley friends, but Facebook is just an advertising company. It the advertising guys sit in the basement; they're not allowed to shake hands with Cheryl and Mark. But but that's what they do. They just go in and they grab ad ad revenue. It's pretty much the same as Google. If you strip away all of else with Google, it's just an ad making machine, and so. Uh, you know this this that's a volatile business and the, the tech is very impressive but this stuff can can go away pretty quickly this isn't uh, you know so yeah this I guess some of the business models are you know are risky and then I think snap is just you know a, a more extreme version of that but that's what's showing up there and I think the other thing with snap is that we wrote about this when they IPO'd is that the corporate governance is terrible because uh, the shells have absolutely no rights at all, no voting rights at all. And there's not even any sunset provision in them. So uh, that's going to be as long as, uh, you know, as long as they want it that way. And it does mean that, uh, you know, if a company tailspin spirals, there's absolutely no recourse. I'm not really sure that's what, uh, you know, the public stock exchanges should be about. But uh, but anyway, yeah, we had one person uh, take off a couple of billion dollars of snap in the space of an hour. Well, thank you, Christian. Thanks to you for listening, and please join us next week. Thank you very much, everybody, and here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investment investment trading, including our research investment process, represents our investment investment trading at data's commentary, subject to change that notice. We can assure that the type of investment discussions commentary will be for many other investment strategies in the future. 
nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk adjusted investment in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. References such an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments buyers do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements, numerical, or any statements of numerical data, past performance, no indication of future results.